Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. This is Georgia Today. I'm Steve Fennessy. It's Friday, December 25th, 2020. Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. For four decades, Jim Galloway has been on the front lines of some of the biggest political stories in the South. The new flag does not, however, value one Georgian's heritage over another. Hard work is in our bones, and we have proven this every single day, Georgia. With doors knocked, with calls made, with miles traveled. Jim's a frequent guest on GPB's Political Rewind. But you may know him best from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Political Insider column. After 41 years at the paper, Jim will be retiring on January 15th. But the chief, as he's called in the halls of the state capitol, is sticking around long enough to cover the outcome of the two runoff elections in Georgia that will determine control of the Senate. Jim, are you ready? I'm ready to go. When you look at the world now, I mean, the political world in America, what do you, what goes through your head? When I first started at the AJC as, as an editor there, I, I went and I went into reporting. I had to work the weekend shift and thus had, thus was the, uh, I was the Klan reporter. You know, I was the guy that, that, that you sent out just, just to monitor them. You know, you didn't, uh, we didn't like to write about them, just to monitor them. And because, because you know, obviously they'd caused some trouble before. And now I, I you know, I, I see them pretty much the same people out front, uh, out in the open. When, when was that, that you were monitoring the Klan for the AJC? Oh, that would have been early 80s. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a good time to talk, uh, to start our discussion, actually, because I know you you started at the AJC in 1979. President Carter returns to Atlanta Tuesday for visits to the General Assembly in Georgia Tech. It's his third trip home in less than two months, home to the people who provided him with the initial support for his run for the presidency. But how would... That year in the General Assembly, there were 236 members of the State House and the State Senate, and... Of all those, 236, precisely 25 were Republican. Did they look like the Republicans that we see today? or, or, or... Oh, no. Well, no, 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 no. Is, is in, in fact, at the time when both Coverdell and Isaacson were the minority leaders, in uh, Coverdell in the Senate and, 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 and Johnny in the House, uh, they called themselves progressives. Wow. <laughs> how, how, how strange how, you, how, how like, branding how, changes how, yes yes how do you like that they were in many many ways they were they were more liberal than the rural white democrats right uh they were they were a good bit more open on race i mean uh isaacson ran in, in the i think it was the 1990 he, he ran for governor in 1990 mm-hmm. uh and, and i can remember uh, getting into a just a fierce battle with Wazell Miller, who's he was the Democrat. Uh, when I inserted a line into a story, I was uh, I was I was uh, the political editor then. That said, basically said for the first time, Republicans are, are I mean, they, they have a candidate who who could appeal to African Americans in the same way that Democrats 
Uh, and, and, and Isaacson always did very well within the Af- African-American community. I think he, in that case, he, he kind of, he kind of shot himself in the foot. I think he, he, he came out against a renewal of the, the Voting Rights Act, which, which, uh, which handed the issue back to, back to Miller. Speaking of Johnny Isaacson and kind of flash forwarding a bit, but when he was stepping down from the, from the U.S. Senate um, for health reasons, and there was that really memorable moment in the House chamber in, in, in the Capitol. You have been very good to the people of the state of Georgia, and I'm lucky enough and just blessed really to, to call you a friend and a brother. Thank you so much. John Lewis said, I'm going to come over to you, brother. I will come over to meet you, brother. Moments like that didn't used to be so unique, but, but they are now. They were rare then, and they're almost impossible now. Uh, I mean, especially if, if you look at uh, what's going on between Kelly Loeffler and Raphael Warnock in, in the U.S. Senate race. Uh, that, that, that contest is going to set back uh, Republicans for a good while as far as it comes to, to expanding uh, their base beyond, beyond white voters. So just a little history lesson for us. What explains the Democratic domination in Georgia in 1979 when you joined the AJC? Uh, that was largely, largely uh, Jimmy Carter's doing. No poor, rural, weak, or black person should ever have to bear the additional burden of being deprived of the opportunity of an education, a job, or simple justice. He was able to, to unite urban black Democrats and rural white Democrats who didn't, the, and the latter didn't like, you know, the national democratic platform, but, you know, the, the, that was the power structure that was. Uh, in Georgia, and and they stuck with it, and that was how Democrats hung on in Georgia uh, until 2002, and that that's far far longer than than any other uh, state in the Deep South. All, all all the other ones had gone Republican well before us. So it, there was something about this coalition that that Carter built that sort of cemented that. Basically, your communities go where your sheriffs' races go. And as long as everybody stuck together, all these all, all these white Democrats in rural Georgia stuck together. It was, it was, uh, it was pretty resistant to change. Hello, once again, and just to bring you up to date, NBC News has projected that Republican Ronald Reagan will be elected president of the United States over President Jimmy Carter. Let us show you the map now and show you why we are able to make that projection. As you can see, what role did did Reagan's presidency have on? on the, the evolution of the Republican Party here? I, I think it was transformational. He drew in a whole lot of the religious right coming into the Republican fold, changed it immensely. I know that you've been horrified, as have I, by the resurgence of some hate groups preaching bigotry and prejudice. Use the mighty voice of your pulpits and the powerful standing of your churches to denounce and isolate these hate groups in our midst. The commandment given us is clear and simple. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The other part that Reagan brought was the optimism. That, that to me, is, is one of the defining, just, just what makes Donald Trump so strange, and that no one would call him an optimist. Nobody, uh, I mean, there was no morning in America 
just the pessimism that has that has that has befallen the, the Republican Party, I think, is just light years away from what happened when Reagan came in. You did have these terrible fights on the Republican side over uh, you know over who would take control of the party. Figures like Sadie Fields, who ran the Christian Coalition here, they they had a a very good couple decades that hit the high water mark probably in two thousand four, when Georgia put in the the state constitutional ban on same sex marriage. You know, it, uh, uh, it has been it has been downhill for social conservatives since then. I think in terms of influence at the at the state capitol. Well, what was it about the National Democratic Party platform um, that 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 rural rural white Georgians did not find favor? Civil rights. That's kind of the uh, theme that goes through most of uh, most of uh, uh, southern politics for the last good lord forever. Yeah, we're still coming to grips with it today. Uh, what happened back in 2002 is is that uh, uh, Roy Barnes uh, finally pulled down that uh, the, the, that 56 state flag with the Confederate battle emblem. From those who claim we can never satisfy the other side, or say any change to our flag will dishonor our heritage, well, I'm here to tell you there is no other side in Georgia. We are one people forever woven together in a tapestry that is Georgia. We are all one, or at least we should be. And it is our job, our duty, and our great challenge to fight the voices of division and to seek the salve of reconciliation. Was it clear to you at the time that that was crossing the Rubicon, kind of, for the Democratic Party? Uh, it became clear in the months that followed. Uh, Sonny Perdue uh, grabbed that issue and, 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 a, and a couple others and uh, pried white rural Georgia away from the Democrats. My fellow Georgians, I am honored to stand here today as your new governor humbled by history and lifted by your support. I won't forget I'm working for you. <laughs> Their alliance was, uh, was, was, was cemented for the next 20 years, which is rural Georgia and suburban Georgia. When he's writing his political column twice a week, who does Jim Galloway picture as his typical reader? This is Georgia Today. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. This is Georgia Today. I'm Steve Fennessy. I'm speaking with political columnist Jim Galloway, 
who retires next month after more than 40 years with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We're talking a lot about politics, but in terms of your career, um, I understand that in the late 80s, you had your eye on a different kind of role at the paper. I had my, my eye on that role pretty much from the beginning. What role was that? A foreign bureau. We had a, a bureau in, in Moscow, in Jerusalem, in, uh, in London. Uh, we didn't have anything in Asia, and uh, we opened one in Tokyo. I put in a bid for it. Uh, Bill Kovich was the uh, editor. He said, no, we've got the, the DNC coming to Atlanta in 88, so please hold off. We'll do something with you later. So the year after that, I uh, just months after that, actually, uh, I got a Knight Wallace Fellowship uh, for the University of Michigan. Took the family, spent, spent a year studying Chinese uh, philosophy, uh, language, economics. Ended up kind of going to, to, to uh, uh, China on a scouting mission for a bureau uh, back in the, in the spring of 1989. And, of course, that's when Tiananmen Square happened. This is the CBS Evening News. Dan Rather reporting. Good evening. It is morning now, Monday, in Beijing, a city under siege by China's own Liberation Army. Gunfire is still being heard in the streets of Beijing, but in many places, a general eerie and easy quiet prevails. I was on Tiananmen Square in the night the tanks came. I, I went around with an AP reporter the next day. We we found the the morgue over in Mushidi. It was it, the, most of the killing wasn't wasn't on the square. It was it was it was in the kind of the workers' quarter to the west of the west of Tiananmen, and uh, and we just saw the bodies that were just piled up up uh, up to the ceiling. A woman weeps over her dead brother, shot down beside her as they walked on a quiet street. Hospital administrators say they have been forbidden to release bodies to relatives for burial. Many of the wounded were bystanders, surprised when the soldiers opened fire indiscriminately. They had always believed that the People's Army would not use force against the people. You were there initially or ostensibly to establish or look into establishing a, a bureau for Cox specifically in Beijing. And, and it just happened to be at the same time as the June 4th Tiananmen uprising in 1989. In 1989, and, uh, and which coincided with one of the first big newspaper recessions. So the decision was, was made after, after the uprising that we want to stay away from that as a bureau because of the uprising? Or? They couldn't afford a bureau there. How much of a disappointment was that to you? I had spent uh, uh, the better part of two years preparing, mm -hmm. but it, it sent me into another direction. Those bureaus, we don't have any bureaus now. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, the Moscow is gone. Jer Jerusalem is gone. Uh, London is gone. Uh, those days are over. So I, I wouldn't have fared very well in any case there. It kind of, it kind of pointed me to hometown politics which is the lifeblood of the paper. And that's, you know, as an occupational decision, that was probably the right one to make. What is it about the column format that appealed to you? There's something that we call, and I don't know if it exists in, in radio, but in newspapers, we call it a voice. Do you have a voice or do you not have a voice? It's not about what you write about. It's, it's how you tell the story. Is there a, a, a narrator within you that people will recognize and enjoy and, 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 and respect? I was able to develop that. 
And what what was the what was the conceit of the political insider? What was sort of well the conceit? Well, here the 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 thing was when you when you when you cut back on space so much, you have to you have to make a decision of what you cover. You know, we would cover the beginning and we would cover the end, but we wouldn't cover much in the middle. You you lose a lot of the subtlety of what you cover, mm-hmm. and and you lose a lot of knowledge, quite frankly, when, as as a reporter when you don't. The object was to get the minutia back in, back into some form. We started doing the the insider, and it was the first content uh, that was that was that was uh, created for the AJC that never appeared in print. By the end of the first year, when I was able to show them that we had we had 1.7 million page views, which at the time was pretty impressive. This this is where I kind of first came into the uh, recognized the power of what was happening. I would you know I would sit in my office in the state capitol, I would I would type post an item about the state senate. I would walk walk across Mitchell Street into the capitol into the senate chamber, and I would get accosted by a senator saying, "No, you got it wrong. Here's what's really happening." It was just, it was it was absolutely amazing. I'm reminded of that line from Broadcast News where Albert Brooks says, "I say it here, and it comes out there." <laughs> right. It's just it is it, it, it was it that was it was just a stunning moment for me. When you were putting together these columns, and, and over the years, the, the 20 years or so that you've been working on it, just in general, is there? Do you have a reader in mind? I mean, what who, who's your target audience to you? Uh if 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 i had a specific reader in mind it would be the republican who is getting uncomfortable with where his or her party is going and why is that because my 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 deepest fear about georgia politics is that it would be completely defined by race that that we the republican party would be be the party of whites the democratic party would be the party of blacks mhm so that that was always my my greatest fear, and it, it's one of the most important things that I think uh, that Stacey Abrams has been able to accomplish. We may come from different sides of the political aisle, but our joint commitment to the ideals of this nation cannot be negotiable. Our most urgent work is to realize Americans' dreams of today and tomorrow, to carve a path to independence and prosperity that can last a lifetime. She and other Democrats have been able to kind of recreate a different alliance. They've been able to recreate a a union of suburban Democrats and urban Democrats. It's biracial, it's multiracial now, and that's a good sign. Uh, and, And ultimately, Republicans are going to be forced to go in that direction unless they want to become a, a, a permanent minority party in Georgia. Well, when you talk about voice and you talk about your target audience as, as you're putting together a column, I want to bring up a specific example and, and see if this is what you mean. And I'm thinking specifically of a column you wrote on December 1st of this year um, in which you were talking about um, Kelly Leffler and Doug Collins, who was um, politicking for her uh, in regards to Raphael Warnock, who, of course, is the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church. Um, where you quote Collins saying, there is no such thing as a pro-choice pastor. What you have is a lie from the bed of hell. It is time to send it back to Ebenezer Baptist Church, unquote. And then this is you saying, I have been unable to decide which is more disturbing, referring to an African-American man as, quote, an it, 
or marking Ebenezer and its congregation as a den of satanic influence, but it is hard to walk either back, and with her silence, Leffler has acquiesced to both. Talk about what went into that in your mind. The the origin of that was uh, Leffler had made her kind of public debut at Ebenezer the January last January. It wasn't you know maybe it was two weeks after she had actually been sworn into office, and so people were waiting waiting for, for to see what she would say. And she was she was following in 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 the footsteps of Johnny Isaacson. And Isaacson had made a, a, a point for the last 25 years, every Martin Luther King Day, he was in the pews at Ebenezer, usually, usually on, on the front stage, but he was always there. And, and you know, it's, it, that, that's, a, that's a huge commitment of time, uh, if, if, you, if you've ever sat through it. It's, you know, it's, it, it, it can be a four-hour uh, ceremony, and it takes, a, it takes a little bit of endurance and a lot of commitment. And this is the Isaacson who understands that, that you can't have a whites-only Republican Party and still hold power in Georgia. And what Leffler has been doing with her campaign, where she is taking just these little snippets of a Raphael Warnock sermon, and, and she is, she, she's pretty much, I think I use the word trashing, the this 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 just very fragile relationship that's existed between Ebenezer and the state capital, and and between the state capital and the King Center, it's being done for short term gain. I think I think the uh, the long term consequences are going to be painful. What what do those consequences look like? What do you mean? Well, well, the consequences are when we get uh, deeper into the twenty twenties. Uh, I think what the what was the the vote the white voting population uh, in in the in on November third was fifty three percent, right? It's been dropping. I, I think when in in twenty sixteen it was fifty seven percent with Hillary Clinton. All right, it's gonna. I mean, uh, in in twenty twenty two it's going to be fifty one percent or lower, and she's going to be running again in twenty twenty two, assuming she wins on 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 January five. It's going to get very very hard for Republicans very quickly. I think. Uh, to win state contests. I did want to ask about sort of the nature of, of the work that you've done over the years and and to what degree, um, having having the Rolodex you've built up over the years, who are who are the people that, that maybe transcended um, just like the source development, but people that you came to came to like and maybe even count as friend? Were there people among them? Johnny Isaacson has been uh, he's 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 been he's he's been a a, a good friend. Uh, I I can I can talk to Roy Barnes whenever I want. I mean I've what's really just just mind boggling is is watching these these younger people uh, grow into these spaces. I mean Abrams, you know. I mean the first time the first time I, I I wrote anything about Abrams, I think it was it was about how odd it was that she was also a, a novelist, a romance novelist, and now and now look where she is. It's 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 gotten a little bit harder to cover the people within the capital simply because messaging has gotten to be such a disciplined art among Republicans. They're very careful, and 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 you don't have that relation. You don't have as close a relationship uh, when you're a columnist as when you have, when you're a beat reporter, because you're not making daily contact. And, and quite often, I don't want daily contact. Uh, you know, I mean, 
you know, it, it, that hurt me to write, have to write that about Doug Collins. I think he's, you know, uh, the Doug Collins I knew wouldn't, would never have said what he, what he, what he, what he said about Raphael Warnock. Did you hear from him? No, I have not. And I, and I, and I wouldn't expect to, but if, but if I were, if I were in daily contact with him, it would be a little bit harder to write that. Sure. Are you worried about the future of journalism and, and uh, someone, you know, in 20 years uh, have, being able to recap their career the way you are now? Uh, I, I don't know that journalism will have that kind of stability. I hope as an entity, the AJC survives in some form. Uh, whether it will always be in print, I, I don't know. Uh, I know, I know uh, uh, the editors want to keep it in print as long as they possibly can. It's just, just something about having that tactile piece of paper in your hand is rewarding. But is is that uh, you know we're 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 going deep into podcasting, we're going deep into video. Uh, so there there's I think there are, are plenty of jobs out there. You will still have journalism. It's just it's it's it won't be my kind of my form of journalism. I think. What are you going to miss the most? This pandemic has kind of forced it on me. I, I miss I miss the contact with 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 actual human beings. Politics can be such a subtle subtle kind of art. You could sit in the House Gallery in the State Capitol, and you can watch David Ralston and Stacey Abrams when she was in the legislature go at each other. But if you looked real hard, you could see their smiles. You know, you know this wasn't personal. There was a little bit of detachment, and 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 they understood that. Uh, with everybody's masking up, you you can't see that. You can't see somebody's face. I, I've gone through forty years as a journalist, half deaf. And, you know, until, until March, I didn't quite realize how much I depended on lip reading to make sure I understood what people were saying. Uh, so, I mean, it's just, I, I will miss the personal contact, I think, and the, being able to read the body language. And there's a saying in politics that never speak if you can wink, never wink if you can just raise your finger, and never raise your finger if you, if, if, if you don't have to. With, with a runoff coming January 5th, um... What is the outcome of that kind of spell for the political climate in Georgia? I, I think either both Republicans will win or both Democrats will win. Uh, I, I'm not anticipating a, a split ticket. If Republicans win, I think they're going to have to do some very uh, deep soul searching uh, about 2022. If Democrats win, it's really going to make this redistricting uh, special session that we're going to go through in uh, probably the latter part of this year. It's, it's going to make that a very, very bitter process because Republicans are going to do what Democrats did in 2001. They're going, they're going to use every tool in the book to make sure that they hold on to power. That's how, that, that's how it works here. Our thanks to AJC political columnist Jim Galloway, who retires next month but he'll continue to be an occasional guest on GPB's Political Rewind. After our conversation, Jim was off to work on one of his retirement projects, carving a wooden lectern for his daughter, who's a teacher. Oh yeah, 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 oh yeah, yeah. yeah I've got, a, I've got a, a, a whole wood shop full of tools that I haven't used well enough or often enough. I'm Steve Fennessy. This is Georgia Today, a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. You can subscribe to our show anywhere you get podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple. Our producer is Sean Powers. Eva Rothenberg is our intern. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Happy New Year. 
and good riddance 2020.